0: Uh, We're in a series looking at the letter 1 Corinthians uh, in the New Testament and we're going to look at grievances this morning. (laughs) You seem very excited about that, that's that's good. Uh, Grievances within the church, disputes, you know, arguments between people in the church. So let's have a little bit of a background. This is a letter that's written to a church in a place called Corinth. Corinth Corinth is an up-and-coming port, um it's you know, in part of the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago, there was lots of people moving to, to this port, moving to Corinth with all their different ideas, all their different religions, their different ways of doing stuff. They brought their slaves along with them. That was all part of, of life, wasn't it? In Roman times, people had slaves and that sort of thing, and they would bring them all... With them into Corinth and start living there. And the church in Corinth um, basically saw these people getting saved and added into the church. So the church in Corinth has got all these different people coming from a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different ideas about how to live your life. Um, And that was all getting, you know, all coming into the church in Corinth. Um, Paul absolutely loved this church, he spent 18 months with them. He was really passionate about it. Um, and as these people bring in these different ways of doing stuff, he's getting really cross with them. Um, sometimes we can think of love and being cross as different things, but actually we get passionate about the things we love. And Paul was getting annoyed with them because they were basically not listening to his, what he taught them, the gospel he taught them. They're not living their lives in that way, but they're bringing all these different issues in, as we're going to see this morning. Um, and Paul's basically writing this letter to address some of those issues. Uh, I think one of the key parts in this letter is in chapter 1. In chapter 1, Paul says to the church that they're not lacking in any spiritual gifts, Um, and if you saw the church in Corinth, you'd be wondering what on earth he's talking about, because it's chaos, um, it's madness, Um, the stuff that they're doing is just inappropriate, um, and you're wondering where are these gifts that are, that are supposed to be in there? Where are these spiritual gifts that they're not lacking in? Um, it, it's a crazy thing for Paul to be saying. And let's remember, this isn't a, this isn't a massive church in Corinth. Um, this isn't a church with a multi-site or a celebrity pastor or anything like that. They're a small bunch of people that the people in Corinth think are just some weird sect, some weird part of the Jewish religion itself. They're, they're, they're a nobody. They're just a bunch of people that are... Are meeting together in their eyes. But Paul says that they're not lacking any spiritual gifts. And as Paul says that about the church in Corinth, we're supposed to see that God says the same thing about Hope Church. He says that about every local church. He's saying that they're not, they don't lack any spiritual gifts. Um, and that's, I think, really key that we understand that from chapter one as we read the whole letter, because it's so key to Paul's argument in the rest of the letter. There's a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a theologian from the last century. Um, And he was pondering this, and he said this, that the church is not an ideal to be realised, but a reality to participate in. The church isn't an idea to be realised, but a reality to participate in. What's Paul saying? Well, we can come with our own ideas about what church should be like. We have our own ideas about what's important. Maybe there should be more people than this This morning, maybe you think there should be more numbers. Maybe you should think we have great community groups, or maybe we should all be better at friendship evangelism, um, or something like that. And as we come to these things, we're like, we've got to make this happen, guys. We we want to be the church we want to be. Let's get the you know let's realise these ideals. And the idea is that it's on us to do these things. But Paul's saying, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer meditating on this is saying that actually the church is here. The church we have we lack no spiritual gifts. It's a reality for us. To participate in the question isn't when is this church going to happen the question is are you ready to participate are you ready to participate in what God's doing here in Exmouth so if you want to turn to your Bibles to chapter 6 that's what we're going to look at this morning the first few verses 1 to 11 from there we shall read that um, pray and then we're going to draw out a few bits and pieces from what Paul's saying here are we ready I think it comes up behind me anyway Well done. (laughs) When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life, So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have a lawsuit at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. Father, we come to you this morning. We want to hear about you, Lord God. We want to know more about you through this passage, Lord. You are the one who created everything, Lord God. You did it out of your wisdom, out of your love, out of your, your willingness to see a group of people come alongside you and help you know, run this you, this cosmos, Lord God, these heavens and the earth, Lord God. Um, you are abundant, God, who gives out your love and your mercy and your grace, Lord God. And we just want to marvel in that this morning, Lord God. Marvel at not only who you are, but what you instill into us as as saints, as holy ones, as those in your church, Lord God. It's truly staggering, Lord, to help us to do that. Help us to come under your will, under your wisdom, Lord God. Help us to hear what you need to speak to us about this morning, Lord God, that our lives might line up with what you're calling calling us to. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so what's happening here? Well, the church members seem to be taking each other to court. Um, That's what's happening. They're basically having an issue between each other and they're taking each other to court. It talks about being defrauded here, so it's probably something to do with money. And what's happening is, what's happening here is that the rich members of the church, the rich and powerful members of the church, are taking advantage of the poorer members of the church. What they're doing is they're going out to these what are called unrighteous judges out in Corinth, and they're basically going with their bit of money in a brown envelope, giving it to the judges in Corinth, who will, will then give them the, the, the judgment that they're looking for. Um, and it was a way of them... The way of them taking advantage of the poor members of the church, and, as you can imagine, Paul is not very happy about this, as I was saying there 's stuff that 's commonplace in Roman society. Um, the poorer members of the, uh, of society have no value in this society; they are treated um, as objects, as things to be taken advantage of, and that 's what 's happening. And Paul's none too happy about it, because he's been there teaching them the gospel, teaching them what it means that every human being has dignity and worth, um, and this isn't in line with that. So Paul's not very cross. He is very cross about all this. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so let's have a look at a few things out of this passage, which I think we need to hear as a church and as people, as we want to make sure that we line up with the gospel, don't we? So... Okay, so the first thing is that what's, what we're talking about here is grievances. These are everyday issues that are happening in the church. Other translations would say ordinary matters um, or everyday matters. Now, defrauding one another, you might decide, is not an ordinary <laughs> everyday matter. That's true, thank goodness, in our society, in our day in 2019. But if you were in Rome, um, or if you were in the Roman Empire, if you were in Corinth, taking advantage of the poor was an everyday matter. It wasn't a big issue. Um, So we need to think about the fact that this is ordinary, ordinary matters that we're dealing with, everyday issues we're dealing with here, not big issues like defrauding one another. Um, so we need, we, what we need to understand is as the church comes together like it has in Corinth, as we get closer to each other, as we build relationships with each other, as we learn to live lives in one another's pockets, enjoying spending time together, what will happen is we'll rub up against each other. We'll have issues with each other. Um, usually 99% of the time this is due to bad communication. We, take, we, uh, we basically upset each other because we don't really understand why why one person's done another, we might not agree with it, um, and you know we're we're just normal human beings who mess up um, and hurt each other on a regular basis. You know that's just reality, isn't it? As as we live together, that's what's happening. And Paul's dealing with these kinds of issues: issues where we get upset with each other, where we misunderstand each other's intentions, um, and things go wrong. Maybe that's you know that can be all parts of church life, can't it? it can be. Um, maybe meetings like this don't go as you want them to be. Maybe you're rubbing up against the type of community group you're in or who other people are in there or even in our own families. It's quite easy to get annoyed, especially when it's hot, isn't it? You know, get annoyed with each other. Okay, so Paul's dealing with those issues and not crimes. And I think this is important because I think... At the point we start looking at this as crimes, uh, like defraud is a crime, we start to get into hot water because it's talking, Paul's talking about dealing with these things within the church, um, that we should be able to deal with these things in the church. And if we start saying that crimes should be dealt with in, within the church, we are getting into hot water. Um, Paul is quite happy for crimes to be dealt with by the police and by the authorities, Um, If you, he would agree with me in saying that, if you have those kinds of issues in your life, um, if you've been a victim of crime, absolutely, you should go to the police or the authorities with those kinds of issues. Paul himself was a Roman citizen. He was quite happy to lay claim to his rights as a Roman citizen, and he was quite happy to tell the authorities how they're supposed to apply the Roman law in his own situation. You can read through Acts and see him do that on a numerous occasions, and he would also see that these ideas, these authorities um, and the police are given to us for our benefit. We are there to, to use them and take advantage of them. They're part of God's provision for us, Okay. So the trouble is, if you, take, if you do try and deal with crimes within the church, you can look at the past 20 years and see the kind of issues we have, can't you? At the point we try and hide those issues from the world, maybe maybe we want to put out like a good image for the church, maybe we want to deal with some of the crimes that we know that have happened in the church. It's a disaster, isn't it? We don't want that to happen. Absolutely, crimes are to be dealt with by the authorities, by the police. Paul's not dealing with those in this passage. He's talking about everyday ordinary matters. Have you got that? Hey, that's good. So how does Paul address these issues? That's the question, isn't it? These everyday issues that are happening in the church, how does he address them? Okay, well, let's have a look at that. Well, the first thing we need to do is understand why they're going to these judges in Corinth um, and what they mean. Now, we have a bit of an issue because Judges and courts and all that sort of thing, we have a picture in our mind of what that means. Basically, you go to court and you you come to a judge. The judge has got a whole book of laws, um, and he checks whether something's happened that is wrong against those laws. And if it has, he goes and then looks to see what those punishments are. Um, That's how our system basically works, isn't it? The the judge is basically hemmed in by these written-down laws. And if it breaks one of those laws, so be it. You're punished. You go to jail or whatever. Um, that's what happens. But for the majority of history, that is not how it works. What you have is a judge who is for himself to work out who is in the right, who's in the wrong, has something bad happened, and what the, the right punishment for that should be. That you, basically, what you want a judge who is good, kind, um, wise, um, can tell the difference between good and bad, um, and what's, what should be done about it. Um, and this is what makes... Paul Cross, because he's saying, actually, you should be able to, within the church, have some wise people among you who can do that very job. Why are you going out paying money to unrighteous judges? You should be able to do that within the church. God has given us his wisdom, but God has given his wisdom to the church. This is going to be something I'm going to build on over the next couple of minutes. It's a key point that God has given his wisdom to the church. Should we have a look at some of that wisdom that we find in the Bible? Is that a good idea? Okay, so Matthew 18, we have Jesus. Jesus is dealing with the issues of people in the church having issues with each other. Um, You might be familiar with this. So what does he say you should do? You should go and talk to that person that you're having an issue with. Why? Because 99% of the time, it's a misunderstanding. They didn't mean to hurt you. They had good intentions go and talk to them get it sorted out the world's wisdom sieve don't especially in this in the uk don't go and talk to that person sieve talk about them behind their backs Put passive aggressive posts on facebook that sort of thing you know, that's, that's the wisdom of the world. Jesus' wisdom, go and talk to them. Let's have this all out in the open. If that doesn't work, bring some wise people with you. Bring a couple of wise people with you. Have it talk to them then. They can see whether you're saying that they've done something wrong or not. Um, if they have and they're still not listening to you, bring it to the church because this is getting into a serious issue, an issue where um, it can impact not only their lives, but the life and the working of the church itself, bring it to them. If they still don't see that the whole church is saying, you, you really need to sort this out because there's um, a big issue here, they basically should leave the church for a while for the sake of them, for the sake of the church, just to see the severity of, their, of the situation. Um, we want to love them and care for them, and it's important that they see the importance of their issue. That's how Jesus would say, we dealt with it, deal with it. Okay? Let's look at Paul. Paul's got an an example in the letter of Philemon. It's very similar to the issue we've got in Corinth. Okay, so in the letter of Philemon, um, Philemon's a wealthy business owner just outside Colossae. He he owns slaves. Um, Paul sends one of his slaves back to him with a letter. Um, In this letter, Paul says to Philemon, take Onesimus back. Um, he is your brother now he's you know he's chosen to follow Jesus he has been saved and added into the church take him back um, now he's stolen some money it seems from Philemon very similar isn't it to this defrauding thing that we see in this passage seems to be a thing that happens quite a lot in Roman times um, so and Paul's saying take Onesimus back take him back um, and if he has defrauded you, if he has stolen some money, what does Paul say he should do? He, Paul says, credit it to my account. I'll pay the difference, it says Paul. Um, what's Paul saying here? Paul's saying that there's something more important going on here than whether we are being defrauded by each other, upsetting each other. There's some bigger thing at play here. And Paul's willing to be out of pocket. He's willing to suffer himself. You know, He's willing to lose money himself for some bigger more important thing here Um, and Paul says that in this bit doesn't he He says why not suffer wrong why not be defrauded Paul's onto something here Paul's seeing a bigger picture that's important for us what is that bigger what is that bigger thing what is that bigger thing that Paul is talking about here well it's this idea that we've got the wisdom of God Um, and, and what Paul says here is actually you've got the wisdom of God and one day You are going to judge angels. That's his argument to this one. Wow. What does that mean? Crumbs. Yeah, so he's saying we're going to judge angels. Um, And this is the important thing, that God has given the wisdom of God. God has given his wisdom to the church. He's given the wisdom to the church, um, and the church is somehow going to participate. The key word we're looking at this morning, isn't it? Are you ready to participate? Participate. Paul, yeah, God has given us the wisdom um, and is looking for us to participate in him as he judges the world, isn't it? That's what he's saying there. Somehow we're going to be part of judging angels. Um, there's something about the church that shows something of, of God's wisdom, not only to other human beings um, and the powers and authorities, but to the whole cosmos um, you're probably looking at me quite blankly. But honestly, this is in here. Um, let's think about this. Paul says that the church holds the manifold wisdom of God and it's gonna, the church is going to declare it to the powers and the authorities of the heavenly places. Do you see what I mean? This is, what Paul's, this is why Paul is willing to be out of pocket because the church plays some massive role in demonstrating the wisdom of God to the whole cosmos, to the whole world, the heavens and the earth. This is really important. Um, And it's really important we understand that this is through us uh, having issues with each other. Ordinary matters, remember. This is what we're talking about here. Um, That actually we should get used to using the wisdom of God in these matters. Because one day we're going to participate in judging angels. That's his argument. So let's try and ground this into some kind of reality that that we can all understand, right? Because, you know, I was looking at it going, this is a bit... This is a bit crazy. Where are you leading me here, God? Um, But let's let's just think about this. What the church isn't supposed to do is try and cover up the fact that we have issues. We have issues with each other. We're not supposed to put on some very clever, smart look, you know, that we know what we're doing. You know, we're all friends. We're all great. That's not the point. The point is that as we argue and disagree with each other and have issues, we have the wisdom of God to deal with those issues and sort them out. Um, that's what we do. That's when we demonstrate the wisdom of God to the world. Not that we have it all together, but rather when we get it wrong, as we do on a so often a basis, that we do it. We deal with these issues in a way that the world doesn't. That we are quite happy to be defrauded by each other. We're quite happy to suffer by each other. Um, that's that's what happens. And then when we do that, we love each other. We forgive each other. You know, that's what happens. That's, you know, and that puts God's wisdom out for the world to see. Let's see, you know, if just imagine someone coming into that environment where that people aren't disagreeing with each other, but they're, they're forgiving each other, they're loving each other, even though they have different personalities, they have different ways of seeing life, but they love and care for each other and they're united amongst that. People are like, wow, you know, you're, you're, you're ordinary people, but you've, you deal with things in such an extraordinarily different way. Um, And that's the gospel, isn't it? That actually this is this is what the church should do. And people come in and go, well, what is it you've got? What is this wisdom that you've got? Well, how do you forgive each other? Why, where does this love come from? When you go, well, actually, it was a carpenter who died 2,000 years ago. And they're like, what are you talking about? Well, actually, I want there's this guy called Jesus. He came, he was God, um, and he didn't just do good things. He, just wasn't, he wasn't a good teacher. He didn't just heal, heal people or love people. He was love. He was wisdom. You know, he was these things. He, it, it, these things, truth, wisdom, love, isn't some kind of weird idea out there, but it's, a, it, it's in the reality of a person who's got flesh and blood. His name is Jesus. And if you follow him, if you take him seriously, if you put him first in your life, you can have these things that we've got. We do these things to each other. We are willing to be hurt um, and suffer at the hands of each other, ordinary people. Doing ordinary stuff. Why are we doing that? Because Jesus is who He says He is. Jesus is wisdom. He is love. He is these things. Okay. So let's just move on to this last part, um, which is a bit a bit more interesting. <laughs> well, it's got an interesting point here that, you know, he's saying that, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And saying, so not, do not be deceived. The sexually immoral idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Um, and this is another one of those passages which has uh, got some history, hasn't it? You know, just as The the earlier bit was dealing, you know, if we put it at the point of crimes, we can start getting into dodgy water. We can start, this passage also can become a bit of an issue um, and has been a bit of an issue in the last few years, hasn't it, as like homosexuality and things has come to the fore. Um, And basically what's happened is people have understood this passage in this way, that actually this is a list of people who are not welcome in church, not welcome to be... Part of the church, um, and that they cannot be Christians. Um, that if you this disqualifies you somehow from being a Christian, or or the fact that if you are a Christian and you do some of these things, then maybe your own own salvation, the own own that you can be part of the church at all, might come under, m- might be under at risk or something like that. But that's absolutely not Paul's argument. Paul's argument isn't that these people can't be added in to the church, um, or they can't, be, they can't be part, Jesus isn't going to welcome them. In fact, he even says in this passage that the, you were some of these, uh, that you, some of you were some of these things. You know, he's actually saying that you can be part of the church, because some people were like that, and they have been part, they are now part of the church. So it's important to see that Paul's argument isn't that one. And what we can do with this passage is to start taking making a list and comparing these things to each other and seeing well actually if you're associating sexual immorality with homosexuality what are you saying about homosexuality if you're putting drunkard drunkards with homosexuality what you say what what are you saying about homosexuality and the whole point of this list is not to be doing that the whole point of this list is to is is to set an example that of everyone you know this is supposed to be a Catch all argument that everyone everyone falls short of the kingdom of God. That is Paul's argument that nobody can nobody is righteous and can enter the kingdom of God. This is this isn't supposed to be a list like that, but the fact that everybody falls short. Do you see what I'm saying? You know, it's what Paul says in Romans, isn't it? That that all fall short of the Glory of, God. Glory of God. There we go. <laughs> Yes so that that 's really important so what is Paul saying here? What is paul trying to what argument is he trying to make in this thing and actually, the argument he 's making is is more controversial than that one what he 's saying here is actually that all these things won 't lead to the won 't lead you to the life that you you are looking for it won 't lead you to fulfillment it won 't lead you to all the stuff that actually you can get through Jesus if you put your life in and give your life to Jesus, then actually you end up in a situation where you're ruling with God, judging angels. None of these things will, will give you will bring you to that point. They lead they are like vapor. They are they are meaningless at their their vanity. They won't they won't achieve what they're saying they will achieve. They promise so much up front, but actually. They don't offer what it is you're looking for, which is a life that is fulfilled, a life that is with your God, the God who created you. Paul ends this bit with um, language about baptism. It talks about being washed and sanctified And justified. This is language that is about baptism. What is baptism? I think most of us will know in this room today. But baptism—baptism—is when you've made a decision to follow Jesus with all your heart, body, and mind. When when you're wanting, when you're doing that, you want to make a public demonstration that that is the case. So baptism is when we go into, when we get a whole load of water and we dunk you in the water. um, You get fully submerged, and that is supposed to be showing. That you're putting your li- your previous life to death. That you are you are pu- you are moving on from that. That that leaves in the water. It's dead in the water in there. So all this whole list of things. Whether you thought they were great things, whether you thought they were terrible things, you're quite happy to leave behind. Whatever, what you're saying is, I'm going to put all those things to death. I'm going to count them as loss, as Paul says. I'm going to leave those behind. And as, I come, as you come back out of the water, you are, you are born again into a new life, a new life that is based on not your own wisdom or the wisdom of the world around you, but the wisdom of God. You are willing to say, Jesus, you are wisdom, you are love, you are mercy. And I'm going to follow you um, for the rest of my life. That's what I want to do. I'm, not, I'm going to say all these other things. are just not what they crack up to be. I'm going to follow you and follow Jesus. Do you see what Paul's saying here? That actually, we, what at the very core of what is happening here is that you going out to the world is showing that you're going back to the, to the wisdom, the life that you lived before. The very issue that Paul has with the, this church in Corinth, that they are coming back. They are bringing their life and their ways of doing stuff into the church. And, and Paul says, I taught you a new way. I taught you the gospel. You have given your life over to Jesus and his wisdom. You should live your life by that. He's reminding them that that is what they've done. Okay, let's, I'm going to wrap it up there. I'm just going to summarize and then we can go into responding to what you know, to what God wants to do with us, um, and is prompting us in. So let's go back to that word. Let's just look at this from a different point of view. Let's just go back to the this idea that uh, we are to participate. Are you ready to participate in what God's doing? Because God is inviting you right now. That we lack no spiritual. Gifts. We are, there is nothing that we are lacking as a church. What we are lacking is, is willing to participate in God's wisdom. We can easily, for one reason or another, go back to the wisdom of this world. But God pulls, God is calling us to a bigger thing. He's calling us to this new humanity where we are co-rulers with God. God wants to use us. He wants us to participate in his ruling of this earth. His kingdom is coming um, and everything will be put under his rule under, into his kingdom. He's going to bring about a new heavens and a new earth. And he's looking for a humanity to do what it always should have been doing, which was co-ruling with him, participating in his rule. The, God, the Bible talks about it as us being God's hands and feet. You know, we are supposed to be his hands and feet on the, on the earth, do, showing his rule, leading by his wisdom. We are to be his God's hand and feet. We are supposed to sit on the left and the right of God, um, as he sits on his throne. We are there. We don't sit in the audience um, as God rules the earth. He uses us to participate. We sit on his left hand and his right hand of his throne, as we've been singing this morning. God's throne, though, is not like Solomon's throne. Solomon's throne was made of ivory and covered in gold. Jesus' throne is made of wood Um, And it it has nails in his what? Hands and feet. You know, God calls us to be his hands and feet. And actually we find on the cross that it's in his hands and feet that his nails are put. Um, And we are supposed to understand that participating in God's rule is actually participating in Jesus' suffering. That's the bizarre wisdom of God. That actually is when we suffer that we are participating with God in his ruling, that Jesus' ruling, Jesus' throne was dying on the cross. That is when he was glorified. That is when he was um, shown to the world to be who he was, as he was willing to suffer for those who were perishing, those who needed to be saved. Um, And we are to participate in that. We are to take up our cross daily and follow him. We are supposed to follow him into his sufferings. Can you see where Paul's going with this in this passage? Do you see why he's saying we shouldn't, we we should be happy to, to suffer. We should be happy to be defrauded because that's what God is calling us to do. So to, to be to as we participate in what God is doing, we are to suffer wrongs. We are supposed to do that with our brothers and sisters. We are supposed to suffer the wrongs of each other. Um, as we learn to learn what this means, as we understand what it means to to come alongside and be part of what God's doing in this world. So we suffer wrongs from our brothers, but we love them just the same, don't we? We are not only called to love God with all our heart, body, and mind, but we are to love our neighbours as ourselves, and we are to suffer wrongs in, as part of that process. Do you see what Paul's saying here?